Cottywomple with the Shadow People is a narrative podcast about friendship, magic, mystery, and the divine feminine. This podcast sometimes deals with topics of a sensitive nature, so listener discretion is advised. There is a storm thundering in the distance, but she's getting closer. Closer to a town that hates her. Closer to people who shut their eyes to lightning and cover their ears at the sound of heavy raindrops pelting their tin roots. Closer to her dreams. If she could achieve these dreams on her own, she would. But to accomplish anything, she is going to have to cottywomple with the shadow people. Episode 7, The Storm Woman Thunders. Aradia walked into town with Bastet. She promised the young runaway that she would help her collect her things from the Morning Star Inn. As they walked, they were subject to stares and whispers. Bastet didn't seem to care, but today... Aradia found it harder to dance to the sound. It was harder to let the whispers blend together into music. The words, Why does she even bother coming back once a year? And, It looks like they recruited a new shadow person. Cut through the air and pricked her ears like needles. But she was determined not to let these words distract her from her mission. Before they could venture to the house of ill repute, Aradia needed to make a stop by the mayor's office to see her favorite and only uncle. Mayor Paul was generally well-liked in town, though his detractors would say he was a bit too diplomatic. Aradia chalked up his diplomatic nature to his kind heart. He was a sweet man, perhaps too sweet to hold political office. But he had been mayor for so long, Aradia wasn't sure he could work any other job. Uncle Paul took better care of Aradia than her own father did. When times were tough at the chateau, Paul would always make sure that the moon women, particularly Aradia and her mother, were financially taken care of, a fact that some townspeople held against him. But he was always honest about where the money came from. He was quick to provide proof that the chateau funds came not from the taxpayer, but from his own pocket. After the moon women scattered, Minerva was too proud to ask him for handouts, which explained the chateau's current shabby state. Aradia and Bastet sat in the waiting room outside of Uncle Paul's office, ignoring the judgmental glares from his secretary. Aradia could hear Uncle Paul talking loudly and jovially to someone on the phone. His laughter reverberated throughout the whole building. As soon as he hung up, the door swung open. He smiled when he saw Aradia and said to his secretary, You should have told me my niece was here. I wouldn't have chatted for so long. The secretary scrunched up her nose and replied, I didn't want to disturb you, Mr. Mayor. Oh, she can never disturb me. Come on in, Rady. Aradia smiled at her childhood nickname and told Bastet to wait for her. Uncle Paul closed the door behind them before whispering, Sorry about Miss Catherine. She's new. 
Before Aradia could sit down, Uncle Paul enveloped her in a big bear hug. I've missed you, Rady. I feel like it's been forever. They sat and caught up a little bit before Aradia got down to brass tacks. Did you hear that your brother is threatening to build a cemetery in town? Uncle Paul sighed deeply. Yes, he filled out the paperwork last month. People in town sure seem excited about it. But we don't need a cemetery. The townspeople have always been buried at the crossroads. Uncle Paul tried to assure his niece that the crossroads would still be there. My parents are buried there, your mother is buried there, and someday your Aunt Rhiannon and I are going to be buried there. The crossroads ain't going nowhere. We're just trying to give folks the option, that's all. But Hecate is going to lose business and her livelihood. Morgan Stern is already forcing her out of her home. Once the townspeople start abandoning her, she'll be destitute. Uncle Paul tried to calm her down by assuring her that he would help Hecate any way he could. He admitted to his niece that he was a bit worried about his mayoral position. He wasn't going to win re-election by denying the people the very thing that his brother and opponent were willing to give them. Aradia knew he was right, but didn't want to admit it. He advised her to send Hecate and any other wayward moon women and shadow people to him if they were in need of any help. Aradia hugged him goodbye and said that she had to go save Bastet from the glares of the secretary. Uncle Paul laughed humorlessly. I don't know if Miss Catherine is going to work out here. She's a bit too stuffy for the office. The ghost of an idea started to form in Aradia's head, and she assured him that she could find him another front desk lady if he ever found himself in need. Aradia stepped out of the office, and once she heard her uncle get on another phone call, she whispered to Miss Catherine, You know, I think the good doctor is looking for a new receptionist. I have a feeling his current one is about to go on a nine-month leave. Miss Catherine looked puzzled, but intrigued. Aradia and Bastet left for the inn. The wind of whispers that seemed to follow Aradia around town died down a little bit. She supposed the novelty of her return had worn off. When they entered the inn, they were immediately greeted by Mr. Morgenstern's slimy, saccharine voice. "'And what do I owe this displeasure?' he said, pointing to Bastet. She doesn't work here anymore, and I believe I told you to conduct your storytelling business elsewhere. Aradia's sickeningly sweet smile matched his voice. Bastet is here to collect her things, and I'm here to grab a drink. Surely my money is good here. Mr. Morgenstern glared and told them that they had ten minutes before he called the sheriff to escort them out. Aradia assured him that they would only need eight before whispering to Bastet that she should mention to the other girls that she's going to be living and working at the chateau. The girl nodded in understanding before heading up to her former room. Aradia sat herself at the bar and said hello to the bartender, Mr. Bacchus, before ordering a shot of whiskey. She took a sip and then made a big show of wanting to spit it out. Bottom shelf whiskey? she said loud enough for everyone in the bar to hear. My father, the self-proclaimed richest man in town, has you peddling bottom-shelf whiskey? Mr. Bacchus just shrugged and said that he was told that they could turn a better profit if they sell the cheap stuff. Aradia pointed out that that's not fair to the customers before smiling and saying, You know, 
We're opening up the chateau again, and we're only selling the finest wine, liquor, and moonshine we can get our hands on. Mr. Bacchus's ears perked up at the mention of moonshine. Aradius silently prayed that Minerva or Hecate still remembered the old chateau recipe for corn liquor. She asked him if he still remembered where the chateau was, knowing that he used to be a regular there. When he smiled in the affirmative, she assured him that a job was waiting for him whenever he was ready to leave the inn. As the storm woman waited at the bar, she glanced around the room, wondering what else she could do to stir up trouble in her father's place of business. She was so caught up in her machinations, she did not notice the grimy innkeeper sidle up next to her. And who are you looking for? Morgan Stern sneered. I'm not looking for anyone, Aradia answered honestly. Morgan Stern grinned and asked, Not even Jesse? Aradia rolled her eyes at his assumption and tried to ignore him, but he persisted. Well, even if you were looking for him, he's not here. He may be visiting Madeline at her aunt's place. The two have been nearly inseparable for the past few years, and his mother just adores her. She's everything that Miss Mary could want in a daughter-in-law. Aradia felt her heart sink as he spoke. Even though she would not let her poker face falter, her father knew he was hitting a nerve. Though nothing is set in stone yet, and I bet Miss Mary would be just as happy to have successful business owners as in-laws. Aradia glared. What are you getting at? I'm just saying that if you reconsidered my offer and joined the family business, maybe you would become a more palatable option for your former sweetheart. An entrepreneur is much more tempting than a shadow person. Aradia felt the tears begin to well up and threaten to spill over. His words hurt, and his offer was enticing. She briefly wondered what it would be like to be considered something other than a shadow person, but she pushed that thought away. Morgan Stern could not manipulate her that easily. She wanted to publicly dress him down then and there, she wanted to loudly proclaim that he may be able to buy and sell everyone else in town, but he would never find her price. But she decided against it. She had performed the song and dance with him before, and he always managed to emerge the cool-headed father while she just came off as the immature histrionic child. So she just smiled and offered him her barely-touched glass. Want to finish my whiskey? You know I don't drink horse piss. Morgan Stern just smiled and whispered, Everybody's got a price, sweetheart. Before walking away. Bastet came downstairs carrying two small suitcases and made her way over to Aradia. She was followed by a young, nervous-looking woman. She introduced the woman as Sally May, her closest friend. She told her all about the plans to reopen the chateau. Sally May said that she would be happy to work there as soon as she got her affairs in order at the inn. Bastet told her to quietly spread the word to the other girls so as not to make Morgan Stern suspicious. The shadow people left the inn in just under nine minutes, much to the dismay of Mr. Morgan Stern. He was just itching to call the sheriff. As Aradia crossed the threshold with Bastet, she couldn't help but notice that the nervous-looking girl named Sally May 
whispered something in Morgenstern's ear, but she didn't have time to reflect on what that could mean. She had some more business to attend to on the east side of town. The two women parted ways and Aradius set out to walk the path that she had tread many times before. The path to the crossroads where her mother was laid to rest. As the path became lined with sunflowers, she knew she was close to Hecate's house. Hecate liked to decorate her home, the crossroads, and the surrounding area with sunflowers. She said that it made the dead feel like the sun was shining on them. The sunflowers planted at the crossroads were so big and bright, it was as if she was staring into a hundred tiny suns. Hecate liked to live close, but not too close to the crossroads. She would always say that she needed space from the dead, or else they'd keep her up all night with their caterwauling. That's why she was so grateful to be renting her small yet cozy home. Aradia glanced at the tiny neighborhood of houses that she passed on the way to Hecate's home and had a horrifying thought. Morgenstern really intends to displace all of these people, doesn't he? Aradia was pulled out of her worrisome thoughts by a familiar yet angry voice. What the hell are you doing here? Before her stood the woman whom she had spent her younger years with. Hecate had long, black, curly hair and eyes like night. She wore a gold ring in her nose and a sunflower behind her ear. Memories of their childhood came flooding back to Aradia as they stared at one another. Hecate, her twin sister Persephone, and Aradia had so much fun getting into hijinks with each other. Hecate matched Aradia's energy and passion step for step, though she was a tad bit more level-headed than the Storm Woman. She made sure that they could narrowly avoid trouble no matter what shenanigans they got up to. After Persephone ran off to the Mountain of Dead Things to get married, Hecate became a bit more reserved and bitter a bitterness that Aradia did nothing to quell by leaving. Aradia was snapped out of her reverie by her friend's sharp voice. Well, look who decided to show up after four years. You come back to town once a year and don't even come by to see me? Aradia puffed up indignantly and said, You didn't exactly give me a warm welcome back last time I was here. I didn't think you'd care. You certainly didn't care when you left the first time. You were my friend, and your mama was like a mother to me, and after she died, you just left. You abandoned me. You abandoned Minerva. You abandoned your entire family, Aradia interrupted her. Don't call them my family. The Moon Women didn't see me as family. They just saw me as a mistake that mama made with Morgenstern. Hecate was silent for a few moments before saying, You could have at least said goodbye. You know how much it killed me when my sister left. Aradia bowed her head because she knew that her old friend was right. I'm sorry that I left, but I'm back now and I want to help you. Hecate was unmoved by her apology. Really? And how can a Morgenstern help me? Aradia winced at the use of the name. Her mother never gave her her father's last name, but that did not change her lineage. She cleared her throat and explained that she was aware of her father's plan for the cemetery, she said she wanted to offer Hecate a place to stay at the chateau. Just me? Hecate sneered at the offer. What about the other people living in Morgenstern's shacks? They're going to lose their homes, too. Do you have a place for all of them? While we're at it, do you have any room in Minerva's garden for a new crossroads? Not that I'll be able to dig up the remains. They're all bones and decay now. They're all going to be dug up or buried over and forgotten about. And you know what happens to the dead when they're forgotten. 
Aradia shrunk as Hecate's anger grew. She managed to squeak out a small rebuttal. Paul says the crossroads won't be affected. Oh, please, Aradia. You don't actually believe that, do you? Maybe the crossroads won't be affected now, but as more people die, that cemetery is going to snatch up as much land as they can get. And when that happens, you can say goodbye to any memory of your mama. A long, painful goodbye. Aradia did her best to hold back her shame and tears before promising Hecate that she was going to stop her father and make things right. I'll believe it when I see it, Hecate said before stepping over the threshold of her front door. Before shutting herself away, she turned back to the girl who she'd once considered her closest friend and said, If you're in town, come to the crossroads during the hunter's moon. Your mama wants to see you. The walk back to the chateau was slow. It was hard for Aradia to walk at her usual brisk pace when she felt like the weight of the world was on her shoulders. She felt horrible for how she had abandoned her friend. She felt worse that the same friend was about to lose her home and her livelihood. She hoped that Hecate would rethink her offer. When she finally made it home, Lilith was standing over a pot in the kitchen. The dirt woman offered the storm woman a bowl of stew. The rent from her new tenants allowed her to go into town and buy some good meat and broth. Her giddiness faded when Aradia politely yet solemnly rejected the offer. She started to worry when Aradia rejected a cup of lavender tea. Aradia quickly made her way up to her room and locked the door. She didn't want to run the risk of snapping at Lilith when she was feeling so low and helpless. She buried her head in the pillow and thought about the Hunter's Moon celebration at the crossroads. Every year when the air turned crisp and the leaves turned red and gold, the invisible fabric that separated the world of the living and the world of the dead would become so thin as to disappear. And when the full moon appeared at this time, its light would shine down and disintegrate that fabric. This was the one night of the year when the living could visit and catch up with their deceased loved ones. Aradia hadn't been there since her mother died. She would always say she missed the celebration because she had worn out her welcome in town. But the truth was, she was scared of what her mother would say about her leaving. She had almost cried herself to sleep when she heard a frantic banging on the chateau's front door. The three women who lived in the house rushed to open the door only to see a terrified and crazed Hecate coughing and panting on their front porch. She was bent over at the waist, bracing herself against the door frame with one hand. <coughs> Come quick! <coughs> My house caught on fire! <coughs> we have to go before it spreads to the crossroads! Aradia didn't hesitate. She didn't even bother to put on her shoes. She ran a hundred yards with Hecate to see her friend's home engulfed in a blazing inferno. The fire had already begun to spread to her neighbor's house, and Aradia could see that the flames were quickly inching in a straight line towards the crossroads. A straight line? Aradia thought to herself. It couldn't be burning in a straight line unless it was... unless it was following a... a trail of kerosene. Aradia didn't have time to think of the implications of what that could mean. She knew why Hecate came to her rather than the firehouse. Those men couldn't do what Aradia could do. She summoned the anger she felt towards her father as well as herself. She summoned the sadness. She felt the loss of her mother and the rejection of her hometown. As the tears in her eyes streamed down her cheeks in torrents, she let out a scream that no one would hear over the sudden thunderclap. There was a flash of lightning, 
and just before the flames could reach the crossroads sunflowers, the bottom fell out of the sky, and a heavy rain began to clean the charred land. Hecate collapsed to the ground, and Aradia held her as the rain soaked them through. Mr. Morgenstern sat in his office, sipping a glass of cheap whiskey and smiling to himself. The cemetery deal was as good as done, but he couldn't take any chances with his daughter running around. He knew she had gone to his idiot brother to try to get him on her side. Though he was sure the mayor wouldn't renege on his cemetery plan, he also knew that Aradia had a way of swaying her uncle. She was always closer to Paul than she was to him. He couldn't risk his plans falling through, especially now that the chateau was going to reopen and take business away from the inn. So he did what had to be done. Any moment, Sally May would be waltzing into the Morningstar Inn, reeking of kerosene, with news of a terrible fire that had enveloped the shacks that he owned and rented out on the east side of town. The burial crossroads would no doubt be lost in the flames as well. Morgenstern winced a bit at that last thought. He didn't like the idea of burning Diana's memory away. But that's the price of progress. He finished his glass and began fantasizing about how he would change the town once he became mayor. The townsfolk wouldn't dare vote against the man who promised to bring refinement and sophistication to this podunk little town. He was immediately brought out of his revelry by a loud thunderclap and the sound of big, fat raindrops beating against his window. The rain washed the grime off the glass, and with it, any hopes of destroying the crossroads. Well, shit. Cottywomple with the Shadow People was created and performed by Shay Lee and edited by Jonathan Strickland. Special thanks to Lucas Ryan and Jenny Milam. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music.